I dreamed of traveling the long road, singing my songs to that distant stranger. Yes, I know it's sad for you, but it's something I got to do. And I will be coming home, back to the mountains, back to being free from all there is to be. Coming home to live and the life I once knew. Hello, everyone. And welcome to Bedtime Bible Boys with Brock, Trey, and Theron TJ. Thanks Thanks for for listening. We love you, Mom. And you too, Gail. Fun Bible fact of the night. We'll start it out in trivia form. Trey, what child holds the record for most water spills during bedtime Bible boys set up? <laughs> okay, okay. It's okay. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. Look, your brother won't even answer the question. How about, let's listen to this one, Rob. Listen to this. Do you guys know what book of the Bible is in the dead center? You know, so if there's like 2,000 pages, if you flip to page 1,000, what book is that? Do you know? Mark. I mean, no, Matthew. No, that's okay. No, it's Old Testament, and it's a book of songs. Psalms? Psalms. That's right. Oh. The Psalms. Do you know what chapter of Psalms is in the very center? Three. It's a lot higher than that. But that's okay. It's a good guess. 25? It's 118. The 118th Psalm is in the middle of the Bible. Do you know what verse is the very middle verse of the Bible? Seven? Very close. Six? Eight. The very, very middle of the Bible is Psalms chapter 118 verse 8. Psalms chapter 118 verse 8 says it is better to trust in the Lord than to put confidence in man. Isn't that a truth? Almost sounds more like a proverb. You know, it is better to trust in the Lord than to put your confidence in a person. I hear similar all the time. Mm Mm-hmm just in other verses and things no matter who the person is it's important to know that they're going to let you down right people are not perfect it doesn't mean that you're going to dislike them or that you're not going to love them or that they don't love you it's just that people are living in the flesh so we have to allow people grace right because we know that Not every day at school is going to be your best day at school. Not every day, not that this disappointed me at all, but not every day getting ready for bed is everything going to go exactly right. It's okay. What's not okay is you being ashamed of yourself for it. That's not okay. Right? Nobody else is ashamed. Nobody else is ashamed of you. Just use an example. See, people mess up. People, if you place your trust in people, Eventually, they will fail you. doesn't mean don't place any trust in them. But if you have the choice 
to trust in the Lord or to trust in a person, it's better to place your trust in the Lord. He loves you. He's not going to fail you. You may feel at times like he's failing you because you don't understand what he's doing. Just because you don't understand it doesn't mean he needs your permission for it to be right. Is that right? Yeah. Do we agree with that? It's very interesting. Psalm 118, verse 8, very center of the Bible. It is better to put your trust in the Lord than in a person. If you remember last time we were reading 2 Kings chapter 21, finished up, and I left you on a cliffhanger saying that something happens in chapter 22 that kind of just blows your mind. If you think back 57 years before Amon died, or right, died, who was king? It's the one we just got. Hezekiah, that's right. Hezekiah was king. And Judah was Brock following God at that time or not following God? Following him. Following God, that's right. I I just forgot the people. It's okay. Like the um his son. Well, okay. Not you're right. Uh, I should say the kingdom. The kingdom was following. At least the leadership and the kingdom was following in God's path, right? But it took 57 years to get to a point where this happens. We're going to start off in chapter 22, verse 1. Josiah was eight years old when he became king, and he reigned in Jerusalem 31 years. His mother's name was Jedidiah, or Jedidah, daughter of Adiah. She was from Bozkah. He did what was right in the eyes of the Lord and walked in all the ways of his father David not turning aside to the right or to the left in the 18th year of his reign King Josiah sent the secretary Shaphan son of Azaliah the son of Meshalam to the temple of the Lord he said go up to Hilkiah the high priest and have him get ready the money that has been brought into the temple of the Lord, which the doorkeepers have collected from the people. Have them entrust it to the men appointed to supervise the work on the temple, and have these men pay the workers who repair the temple of the Lord, the carpenters, the builders, and the masons. You guys know what masons are? No. Brick, stone people. Oh. Also, have them purchase timber and dressed stone to repair the temple. But they need not account for the money entrusted to them, because they are acting faithfully. Hilkiah the high priest said to Shaphan the secretary, I have found, get this, I have found the book of the law in the temple of the Lord. Where had it been this whole time? Somebody found it. Like, almost like they were cleaning out the temple, getting ready to restore it pulling out old stuff and the book of the law was found that's insane he gave it to Shaphan who read it then Shaphan the secretary went to the king and reported to him your officials have paid out the money that was in the temple of the Lord and have entrusted it to the workers and supervisors at the temple then Shaphan the secretary informed the king Hilkiah, the priest, has given me a book. This is the Bible. 
This is this is the law. This is the law of Moses. Hilkiah the priest has given me a book. This is the Holy Bible. Where has it been? Literally nobody was paying attention to it. Nobody would even knew. He, he called it a book. And Shaphan read it, read from it in the presence of the king. Could you imagine? I mean, could you imagine? When the king heard the words of the book of the law, he tore his robes. Brock, why do you think he tore his robes? Do you have he, he was, um, I'm pretty sure, I read this out of my Bible, that when kings tear their robes, or when somebody tears their robes, or clothes, that they're shocked or astonished or something like that. Right. So, these people have been living, and good job, Trey. And king reads the law what do you think it did to him when he read the law if you never knew there was a law that god gave a law and then you started reading it what would it do might it convict you of all the stuff you'd been doing that was wrong and so he was shocked at himself he was astonished he was probably depressed grieved that my goodness we're a long ways off here Verse 12, he gave these orders to Hilkiah the priest, Ahakim, son of Shaphan, Akbor, son of Micaiah, Shaphan the secretary, and Asiah, the king's attendant. Go and inquire of the Lord for me, and for the people, and for all Judah, about what is written in this book that has been found. I just can't believe, I can't, every time they say it, I can't get over it. This book that has been found. In 57 years, they went from a nation that was close to the Lord, to a nation that had no clue who he was. Great is the Lord's anger that burns against us because our fathers have not obeyed the words of this book. They have not acted in accordance with all that is written there concerning us. Hilkiah the priest, Ahakim, Akbor, Shaphan, and Asiah went to speak to the prophetess Huldah, who was the wife of Shalom, son of Tikva, the son of Harhaz, keeper of the wardrobe. She lived in Jerusalem in the second district. She said to them, This is what the Lord, the God of Israel, says. Tell the man who sent you to me, This is what the Lord says. I am going to bring disaster on this place and its people according to everything written in the book the king of Judah has read. Because they have forsaken me and burned incense to other gods and provoked me to anger by all the idols their hands have made, my anger will burn against this place and will not be quenched. Tell the king of Judah, who sent you to inquire of the Lord, this is what the Lord, the God of Israel, says concerning the words you heard. Because your heart was responsive and you humbled yourself before the Lord when you heard what I have spoken against this place and its people, that they would become accursed and laid waste, and because you tore your robes and wept in my presence, I have heard you, declares the Lord. Therefore, I will gather you to your fathers, and you will be buried in peace. Your eyes will not see all the disaster I am going to bring on this place. So they took her answer back to the king. That is the end of chapter 22. You know what I really like? I just want to focus in on this second part, this part again. In verse 19, 
think about your situations in life when you know you might one day become entangled in a sin and feel the way he does like you tear your robes at what you've done you might not actually tear your robes but you feel ashamed embarrassed terrible sorry guilty you feel all this and you turn to the father right now he doesn't shame us he doesn't guilt us but he does convict us and when you feel convicted i really think verse 19 sums up what our expectation is a party in this relationship we have with the lord right the other half of this relationship we have with the lord verse 19 because your heart was responsive and you humbled yourself before the Lord and because you tore your robes I skipped a little bit there and wept in my presence I have heard you declares the Lord I think that's powerful just keep that in your mind the Lord responds to a faithful heart do you understand that? Yeah. do you know what the Lord can't work with? I don't need God. I'm too smart. I may have messed up, but look at me. I'm fine. Somebody who's too proud to admit that they need God's grace. Too proud to admit that they've messed up bad. That without Jesus, they're not really that impressive or good of a person. But with Jesus, they're the righteousness of God in Christ. You see, to even receive Jesus, you need to have a lot of humility. Because you are admitting, this is something I cannot possibly do on my own. See how it would be hard for somebody who's proud to even respond to the Lord and accept Christ? Because they want to do it themselves. I think we just need to think about this. We want to be hardworking people. We want to pick ourselves up and we want to be excellent in all we do. When it comes to our position with the Father, the only way we get to be righteous enough to have a relationship with Him is through Christ. Now that doesn't mean accept Christ and forget about the relationship, right? No, it's nonsense. That would be an immature response to accept Christ and then to go on living in your pride. Absolutely not. We need to be humble to receive that righteousness. And then, as we live in it, we respond just in in the style of a relationship. Right? You don't hurt people you love. You may hurt them at times, like we talked about, because we're human, we live in the flesh. But you don't make it the goal of your life to hurt people you love. Other, Or you don't love them. That would be the other case, right? And if you're struggling with a sin right now, you or anyone who might listen to this, you're going to hear that and say, you're accusing me of not loving God. Maybe I am. But I'll tell you, brother, or I'll tell you, sister, I've been there too. A saved person in Christ, baptized in his blood, that has chosen to fall into sin, and deliberately sin against the Father. You see, I see sin completely differently, though. 
I see what it says in Hebrews, that he remembers what? No sin. He remembers my sins no more. Right? So that's not the basis for my relationship with him. But I'm not able to walk in the peace of the relationship that I have with him if I'm living a lifestyle of sin. So when I choose to not live there, I'm choosing to not love him. And in my heart, I can say, even though I'm saved, I don't really know if I love him the way I want to love him. That's just being honest. But as I grow and as I mature, I find that I keep coming back to him. And I grow stronger over time. And my love for him goes stronger. The, the thing that helps me say no to sin is when I focus more on my love for him and his love for me. Not when I focus on how mad he's going to be. Not when I focus on how much I'm disappointing him. Just when I focus on how good he's been to me. Just the, I swear, boys, just today. I felt like the enemy attacked me in a certain area of my life and was tempting me with, with my own flesh to sin. And you know what I honestly thought to myself? I thought about the Father and I thought, no, he's been too good to me. How much better is that than trying to like womp up your own willpower and be impressive and live in pride? You know, how much better is it if when confronted with the temptation of sin, we can look at it and then we can look at our father and what he's done for us and who he is and how he loves us and the relationship we have and be like, no, he's been too good to me. I love him too much. I don't want to do that. That is the freedom that we can experience through his love. But if it's about, oh, my father's going to be disappointed in me, but this is going to be, this just seems like something I want to do, that's okay. He's just going to be disappointed. He'll, he'll get over it. I can ask for forgiveness. See, that's not really the same. The, the law is like, it's inflexible. It doesn't have a heart. It's just, it's rigid. And it really doesn't want make you want to change that bad. It's probably why it didn't work for the people in 2 Kings. But grace is something so different. Grace and love is like, no, I can't do that. He's been too, he's too kind to me. He loves me too much. He makes me feel too good. We're too close. I just don't want to do it. I'm all over the place. I don't even know how I got to that spot. But do you boys understand what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. Main point of chapter 22 and the cliffhanger I had you on is I just couldn't, when I first read this, I couldn't believe that in 57 years, the people of Judah had gone from following the Lord to not even knowing the word, what the word was, what it said, where it was, and they had to go through and read it like they never had ever heard of it. Think, maybe they didn't even know that they were delivered from the hand of Egypt. Maybe they had never they didn't even know why their tribe was named Judah because they didn't know of Jacob's sons. This crazy? Maybe they didn't know that Abraham birthed their nation. That there was a flood and that Noah built an ark and saved. The Lord saved through him. 
and that he gave us a sign. It was a rainbow. And a lot of people have messed up ideas of what the rainbow means. But we Christians, we know what it means. What is it, Trey? It's a promise. Isn't it? It's a promise. It's a promise birthed in our God. These people may have not known any of that. Because they had fallen so far away from him that this, the Bible, was totally new, unrecognizable. Isn't that crazy? Thanks be to the Lord that in Christ, when you come to Christ and you receive him, uh, there's a chapter, uh, chapter 8 or 9 in Romans, says that nothing can separate us from his love. So he holds us in his hand. I've heard it explained by Pastor Aaron Budgen. He holds us in his hand in such a way that we cannot be let go. That's why it's so compelling. I mean, a, a, a million other reasons, but that's one reason why it's so compelling to give him your heart, to call on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Because the moment you do and you give him your heart, you are not going to live perfectly. You're not going to have a perfect understanding. You're not going to have perfect peace all the time. You're still going to struggle with sin. You may even struggle with doubting your salvation. But if you give your heart to Jesus Christ in this moment and say, Lord, I want Jesus Christ to be the king of my life. I accept his death for me on the cross and I accept his life into my body. You do that and you believe that in your heart, even though you go through those other things I just talked about, everything else is okay. He holds you in his hand in such a way that nothing, and when Paul describes this in Romans, he goes through everything. Well, not everything, but he goes through a lot of things. He says nothing can separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus. And boys, what does nothing mean? Nothing. Very simple. Nothing means nothing. If there was one thing, he would have had to say it. That makes us feel real good. Alright. We could go on forever and talk about this. That was fun. I love you, boys. Love you too. You guys are good kids. <laughs>